Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. Season 8, Episode 20. Amanda Dybert and Mark Serby. Yes, that would be me, wouldn't it? Uh, this is why I have to turn that camera on. Hello there, welcome along to Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. My name's Leonard Sultana, and this is where each and every Sunday we talk Comic-Cons, com culture, and all the stuff and nonsense that we get to enjoy at such shows. Um, we have been running our uh, shows midweek as well, throughout the course of UK Lockdown 2, uh, here in the UK. Uh, but that's all done and dusted now. Um, we are going to be just doing the Sunday shows between now and Christmas, with a couple of incidentals thrown in for good measure. So uh, thank you very much indeed for supporting the podcast and the, the live streams over the course of 2020, because it's safe to say this has been a trying year for a lot of people. I've been using the podcast kind of to mark time and kind of, it's definitely the highlight of my week. So it's been a pleasure to do the shows for you. And I'm really glad that you've been uh, responding so well to them. As always with them uh, is a round table. This is your show, which means if you do have any questions for our guests, uh, do jump in. Uh, we've got two today. Uh, one's going to be joining us a little bit later because uh, he wants to talk about Godfather because any opportunity that Mark Serby gets to talk about Al Pacino, he's a happy bunny. So uh, that's what we're going to be doing uh, a little bit later. But we have ourselves a special guest for today. And I want to make sure I'm pronouncing her second name right. Is it Dybert? It is Dybert. Ah, you see, every once in a while, you never know. Uh, just every once in a while, uh, something just kind of like uh, trips me up. Uh, but um, excellent stuff. Amanda Dybert's joining us. Thank you very much indeed for coming along. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, as always, like I say, uh, everyone, if you do have any questions for Amanda, do dive in. But I do want this to be a very much uh, a conversation just because... With a couple of the guests that I've been having on uh, over the, the, this year and over the course of the last couple of months, certainly, it's with a very specific agenda in mind. It's to talk mm -hmm. about a project. It's to talk about something that's up and coming that they want to promote. And that's all fine and good. But the thing with yourself is you've got so many. <laughs> you're, spinning so, <laughs> you're spinning so many plates. Uh, that means we can we can kind of like relax and we can talk about all sorts of uh, bits and pieces. Yes. So that's yes. that's where we are with that. Now, uh, Amanda, uh, you may know as a writer for many mediums, and you may know of her from her work on DC Superhero Girls, um, Wonder Woman, and also she's uh, in the writing room for He Man and Master of the Universe, which is Kevin Smith's project for Netflix. But I'm actually doing the I'm actually doing not the Kevin Smith one. There's two. It's so oh, yes. confusing. Netflix <laughs> is doing two, two He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. So there's literally no reason that you should know which one it is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's like going into a shop and just going, oh, well, I'm not too sure on the flavor of that one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> pasta or pizza? Uh, it's a still Italian, but I'll have the pasta. Okay, fine. Exactly. So there's Kevin Smith's, which is, um, I think, kind of more towards maybe a fan base that's more closer to our age, nostalgic, um, like looking for... Uh, sort of something very similar to the one that we uh, grew up with in the 80s. And then there is the one that I'm writing on, which is geared towards children now. So that'll be a cartoon right. for for like, for like my daughter to watch. So there's, Fair enough. there's two. 
Okay. Uh, that's 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 cool. I mean, that's. I mean, to be fair, actually, I think that's the more interesting project um, because it is kind of reinterpreting a world that was originally designed as an adaptation of a toy line, effectively, mm -hmm. uh, for a, a period when. Um, it, things have moved on and people because it was about an established toy line and it was a kind of multimedia thing now it's a case of you're having to kind of really push a story and uh, it's, I think it's an interesting project so that's cool now the way that I've been starting this run of uh, shows is with three questions uh, so okay. we might as well dive into that number one is do you have your brew to hand what is your beverage of choice for a cup of tea for today do you have well, a, a it's, oh, it's coffee it's coffee uh, okay um, though I do, though I do love tea, and when I do, I'm uh, particularly fond of uh, just some Yorkshire tea. But this is this is coffee this morning because that's what I need to get me through. <laughs> Fair enough. Had a little bit of dispute this week uh, because my wife is uh, has become a bit of a, a tea aficionado. At which point, she organised her tea cupboard with all of her um, uh, uh, green teas and all of her herbal teas and stuff. And then she almost put a lock on the door, saying, "No, you get the Yorkshire tea and nothing else. This is mine." I'm like, well, <laughs> I, I got locked out of the equation on that one. That's terrible. Number two, um, can you remember your first Comic Con that you went to? Um, and did you go as a pro or did you go as a fan? I, yes, I can. Um, actually, the first Comic-Con that I ever went to was the first time that I was visiting my then long-distance girlfriend, Kat Staggs, my now wife, um, in Texas. I, I, it was, I guess, um, it was probably, I mean, I guess technically it was our third date. She had flown out here to Los Angeles <laughs> uh, two times to hang out with me and then I flew to Texas and went to a small Comic-Con in, uh, in Texas with her um, in Dallas. And uh, so I went as a pro's girlfriend. <laughs> so a fan who's very much a fan who got to meet people, but I also got to like, you know, sit on the other side of the table and um, marvel at her uh, talent and watch her do her thing. So it was a, it was a little bit of a foot in both worlds. That's cool. And not only that, but you yeah, like I say, you also get the chance to step away from the table and kind of do a bit of ex exploration and get an idea of the from both sides of the table. I think that's really that's really cool. Mm -hmm. And then Thanks. same when I went to San Diego Comic Con for the first time, it was also um, at that point as like her sort of longer term girlfriend. So it was that same little bit of both. Yeah. Is that the, the kind of situation as well that you, because uh, I've had this with Caroline uh, as my significant other, my, my, my better, much better half. Um, <laughs> when, when I've been going to con, say, as a, a panel host, uh, she's kind of slipped into a de facto kind of PA role where she's kind mm -hmm. of gone looking for bottles of water or things or just managing my timetable to make sure I don't miss anything. Do, do, you, do you find yourself slipping into that, into that kind of role or is Kat pretty good at managing herself? I, I definitely did early on. Um, and then as I started having my own, you know, this was 12 years ago when we first started dating. Um, and then as I started having my own uh, comics career and my own panels that I had to be on, then we sort of had to 
look out for ourselves a little more because I might be going to a panel at the same time that she was. I still kind of am the de facto like gopher, like getting food and drink and things for her <laughs> because she's doing commissions, you know, because she's an artist. So she's yeah. sitting at the table and drawing and it's a little bit easier for me to get in and out. And now we have a daughter. So there's also, you know, there's a bit of like wrangling my child mixed in. And um, so it's a, but yes, certainly early on I was, um, I was absolutely the assistant. <laughs> would, would this have been the, like the first year as well that you'd have been taking your daughter along with you or is, is still a little bit too young perhaps? She's gone to, she's gone to small shows with us since she was a baby. Um, and even when she was one, um, I took oh, her wow. to, I took her to San, when she was like one and a half, I took her to San Diego Comic-Con for like, just like two hours. Um, because Kat was there the whole Comic-Con and I had a press junket that I needed to do. Um, so I stayed in Los Angeles, except, uh, our daughter and I took the train to San Diego. I dropped her off. I dropped our daughter off at Kat's table for just the hour for me to go do the press junket. <laughs> went to the press junket, came back, got our daughter, went back on the train and came back home. Fair enough. It's one way of doing it, I suppose. Not only that, but she, she dipped her toe. So, yeah. uh, I mean, listen, she's a little bit more of a veteran than some of the um, people I've uh, spoken to when it comes to uh, San Diego because... Oh, yeah. At least she was on the floor for an hour. She was behind the oh, table yeah. and everything. Oh yeah, she's she's an old pro at this point. She'll, um, <laughs> especially at, like the smaller cons, she'll get behind tables and like offer to sign autographs for people and nice. uh, draw pictures for people. It's it's very cute. Excellent. And number three, um, something that uh, I like to ask, uh, especially for people who have been to cons and they've gotten the opportunity to meet. Um, people that perhaps have inspired them, people that they've read growing up or um, have admired their work uh, in their formative career. Uh, those people that have made you go a little bit fuzzy in the brain and a little bit cotton mouth and the knees go a little bit wobbly, meeting your idol idols, uh, can you remember any that you've uh, met and spoke to? Um, I mean, Gail Simone was a big one for me, um, and she's her name will be her name was going to be coming up later in conversation. I, oh, how can it not? How can it not? Um, <laughs> you know, she's just lovely and amazing, and um, you know, getting to to know her and getting to move past the starstruckness into uh, getting to know and love her has been really lovely. And then, of course, she and Kat did Crosswind, so they've done a creator-owned book together, so worked yeah. very intimately together. Um, but yeah, she's definitely she's definitely a guiding star in you know in thinking about the kinds of stories that I want to tell and and um, you know and being authentic and true to yourself as a as a writer for sure. That's excellent. Um, I'm really I mean I'm hearing I'm hearing animal in the background. Oh, I'm sorry. It's, I'm out, I'm outside oh. and there's a there's a crow. Oh right, okay. My, hey, listen, my... I, I, I've no problem. Listen, it wouldn't be a video conferencing call if there wasn't some <laughs> kind of cat wandering by or an animal in the background. So at least there's, it's nature nearby, which is good. Uh, I mean, my, yeah, is... my my daughter's inside doing her piano lessons, so I thought this would be the quieter option. <laughs> <laughs> there's no escape, is there? Um, I mean, what what is LA like at the moment? I mean, what is the mood in the area? Is, that, uh, is LA that you're based in, isn't it? I am in LA. Um, yeah. You know, the weather's lovely. We've gone into full lockdown today again. You have, um, okay. 
so today it officially today we're back on like the most extreme form of lockdown nobody's allowed to go and you know i mean i i don't think it's even legal for me for, to go for a walk right now yeah um so we're we're very 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 shut down um because the the you know the hospitals are past the you know the capacity that they'd like them to be sure. so so we're there until then um okay. otherwise you know we're staying cheerful we've we've been pretty much uh as a family staying in since march so it doesn't it doesn't change a lot for us yeah has it been a lot of home homeschooling and uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean i, I can i can i can imagine it's been a lot of um doing your best to keep everyone's spirits up and kind of like you know so if you're feeling uh, overwhelmed or you're feeling down then um cat will kind of make that support system work and kind of uh, pr provide that buoyancy vice versa and then with your daughter as well it's it's kind of like a, a team effort as it were it, it absolutely is and i think you know in some ways that's where it's lucky having a child because i no matter how i feel or what i want to do there's her life and her routine and i have to keep things you know engaging and interesting and stimulating for her and i'm wanting her to have the best experience she can so in a way you know it forces me to do things that maybe i wouldn't normally do which i think is actually really good for me too like you know we are finding ways to create fun family time and do interesting activities and crafts and and yes i have to spend you know four to six hours every morning uh teaching kindergarten <laughs> so it, yeah you know keeps things keeps things stimulating i'll put it that way i can imagine it's one of those things where it tests you you, you get the the uh the kind of the the, the questions coming in you got you get the uh, the bits and pieces from school at which point it starts questioning your own basic math skills and yeah, you're having to kind of think back to mm -hmm. uh, doing what you need to do then okay so no, i have to teach this now fair enough right, uh, right um what's it also been like throughout this summer for yourself and for the family in terms of uh, consuming content uh, of the lockdown because the people we've been speaking to uh, over the course of uh, the summer it's been one of two things it's either comfort food or bright and shiny because uh, i know that uh, on your social media you mentioned that uh, enola holmes has been a recent obsession so has it been the new stuff or have you been watching episodes of this 70 show on a, on a regular basis <laughs> just um, watching that for me mostly it's been new stuff although with like holidays you know like um in October, we watched a lot of old, like, kid-friendly Halloween movies. And this month, we're doing, you know, in the evenings, we're doing, like, family Christmas films. But otherwise, nice. otherwise for me, I'm a, I like to watch something new, distract myself, find a new story to get lost in or be titillated by or frustrated by or whatever. My wife is, uh, is comfort food. When she, when she works, when she's drawing she likes to put on familiar things that she's seen so she doesn't get distracted and kind of have that be background noise while she while she draws um so we're a little bit we're a little bit the opposites on on that one isn't that always the best way to, uh, to for a relationship <laughs> surely um i mean we've got uh, a couple of people who are jumping in on the comments thank you very much indeed as always yeah questions for uh, um, amanda questions for the conversation please do dive in uh, dan berry yeah 
Uh, yeah, he's full lockdown for SoCal. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's Woo! in San Diego. He's, uh, I think, yeah, they're, they're into uh, so San Diego. I think it's it's coming up to a full lockdown, same drill. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, new ex guy, same boat. I teach assist for four hours and then try and cram my life in, in between. Yes. So, yes, I suspect that's uh, <laughs> the way it is. Uh, Brandon Troy saying hello. Uh, hi, after, uh, Brandon. Good to see you. Uh, Michael P saying good morning. Andrew English. Hello, all from London. And Aaron Neighbors as well, Ola from San Diego. Welcome along, everybody. Um, I, I, I'm really curious about, I mean, the reason why I wanted to get you on uh, the show, uh, mostly because of all of the, like I say, the work that you've uh, got and all the plates that you're spinning at the moment, but also your relationship with your social media um, mm. in terms of your relationship with your fans. I mean, I picked up on your feed um over the course of the summer and it was very much like gail simone's asking interesting questions inspiring debate and that, uh, inspiring conversation and that was uh, it was a really strong um feed to 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 enjoy um but i'm really curious what your relationship is with it at the moment um, <laughs> and also with your fans because i know that um it's been it really does feel at the moment, with so, certainly with social media, it just seems very kind of fractured. Um, people are having a very strained time with their timelines at the moment. Um, uh, I mean, what what is your relationship with your social media? And also, why Twitter? Why is that kind of like the, the main place for you to go? Um, this is such an interesting question for today, as you know, since uh, last, yeah. last night. Um, I got hacked and I actually, I lost my account, um, and got it back in record time, got it back this morning, thanks to, uh, friends who reached out to people that they knew who worked at Twitter and expedited the recovery situation of getting it back from the hacker, which I'm grateful for because the hacker was DMing all kinds of people pretending to be me and asking for favors. Um, which is great. That's not at all embarrassing when you find out someone you have barely a relationship for has been hit up from a favor by you and it's not you. (laughs) Damn. Damn. Um, But it's, you know, everything has been resolved. I've reached out to everyone that the hacker reached out to and explained that it wasn't me. So I think minimal minimal damage done, Uh, which in a way, in a way made me even more grateful for the community. I mean, I do think that social media is what you make of it. Um, I think it can be a really toxic place and there's certain things that you can't avoid. You know, I mean, there's going to be like a certain amount of trolls happen. People say things that are rude or obnoxious or homophobic or whatever. Um, But I also think that I've worked really hard to cultivate um, an environment that is mostly positive and warm and friendly by asking people questions, by engaging in their stories um, and being genuinely interested in those stories. Um, and I feel like that came through with the hacking because so many people jumped in to try to help and to try to report and to offer any, um, you know, communication or, or links or connections that they had, which is why it got resolved so quickly. So, um, Ultimately, that made me feel really good about it. I mean, I think it's been such a lifeline for me, uh, especially during the pandemic when we're when, you know, I'm not able to like go hang out with my friends or go to conventions and interact with with people. Um, And like one of the one of the really like lovely things that happened this summer, actually, on social media is um, when my DC superhero girls graphic novel came out, uh, Weird Science, it 
finally came out in bookstores in a time where LA like now was on full lockdown. So I couldn't go to a bookstore and see it on shelf. And it was just that moment, that kind of silly self-indulgent thing where I wanted to go into like the Barnes and Noble kids section and see my book prominently displayed and be like, oh, I worked so hard and there's a book with my name on and like cry a little bit. And <laughs> that's all I wanted. And I, I couldn't do it because it was my first, I had been a part of like anthologies or different books, but it was my first full graphic novel that was only written by me. Um, so it was, you know, it was like a significant yeah. milestone. And somebody that I didn't know who lived in another state who just followed me on Twitter, she, I didn't know she was going to do it. She made a video of herself putting on her mask, going into her, her, the Barnes and Noble, like kept the camera on, was like, there's your book. Now let's go buy it. Bought the book and like took me with her wow. for the whole thing. And then she just tweeted it at me, the video. And I didn't even know. And then I clicked on the video and I started crying. And it was just such a, like, and then people started taking pictures of it in their stores, like people that were in areas where they could. And then people sent me photos of, like, their kids reading the books at home. And it was just such a lovely, such a sweet thing. That's, um, phenom that's phenomenal. Yeah. So I, mostly it's something that I'm grateful for um, and that I found really lovely and connecting. And then, you know, I, I ask people a lot of questions and people are, have been remarkably vulnerable and open in the answers. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that, I mean that, that's the thing about the feed because I mean, uh, I mean, you can you can sometimes see what the the tone and direction of a, a social media feed is. Um, it's either there to promote, it's there to, as a kind of a conduit, like you say, to uh, to to let people know about the work that you get, you're getting out, or it's. Um, something where it's somewhere for someone to vent uh, of which there are plenty of things to vent about at the moment mm -hmm. um and then there's uh like um gales and yourself where sunny over summer you were asking just questions to kind of get people's ideas of things and just and it wasn't just to kind of like oh i need some ideas about this it was a case of no just let's, let's, let's just talk about something let's that just tell me about some um, your favorites. I don't know um, anything. It was just it was it's just such a, a great feed for that. Um, uh, so in that regard, then, what is your relationship with uh, your social media and your fans? Um, in is it mostly positive? Is it uh, is how? What's the kind of uh, the vibe when it gets like you say a little bit uh, contentious? It's, the, the vibe is mostly positive. I mean, I'll, t I'll tell you the secret about my questions is I always word them in such a way that it aims you toward uh, gratitude or thinking about something that you're, that actually turned out well for you, even if it, if it was a bad thing. Um, I'm never asking a question that's uh, with a negative vent slant um, because I'm trying to remind people, especially right now when everything is so dark and heavy, about the things that make us feel loved, that make us feel seen, that the reasons that we do want to go on um, and push through and care about each other and take care of each other and take care of ourselves in a time that's very hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, if anything, like I say, there's the, uh, I'm going the last, the, this is the last comparison with uh, Gail's uh, Twitter <laughs> feed, I promise. Um, but like, you get those questions. But then Gail also uh, is, 
one of the most professional trolls I've ever seen in my life. She Which knows I how to. It's, it's, <laughs> it's beautiful, isn't it? It's almost like performance art. It's fantastic. Um, so, in that regard, um, certainly the questions that you were you're putting out those kind of faded away. I mean, they were really strong over the course of the summer, and uh, but they kind of like you've come. You, you haven't asked as many. I'm just wondering, is that something then that you're going to kind of dive into with your new podcast, which starts tomorrow? Is it kind of like something that you're, you're asking those questions and starting that conversation? Is it something that's going to kind of morph into this new life that you're doing? Oh, I don't think it'll ever. I don't think I'll ever stop doing it on Twitter. I started. I started those questions actually in. Uh, 2016. So I think I'll, I'll probably continue to do it because it's been such like a lovely, it, it, it brings so much joy to my own life. And I feel like I really actually get to know the people that, that I interact with on Twitter because of their answer. Like, you know, I suddenly know stories about people, oh, that person, you know, is dealing with this, that person has a child who's going through that. Um, so I, I don't think that'll go away, but I am with the, with this new podcast thing, I am going to be tapping into that vibe and those questions, you know, I will be, um, I will be using those questions with the people that I'm speaking with on the podcast, and it'll kind of be, I would think of it as a continuation of the conversation uh, versus in, instead of, because I, I think I'll always love Twitter. You were asking earlier why Twitter, and I think it's the writer in me. It's probably why Gail <laughs> enjoys it so much too. But like, um, it's the, it's obviously the social media platform that most caters to writers because it is, you know, predominantly about the written word and wordplay and jokes and, you know, philosophical threads and, or what have you. And timing <laughs> as well, because I think a, a good thread as well, when you have that kind mm -hmm. of the, that cadence and the rhythm as well, mm -hmm. um, I think that uh, definitely comes in. We might as well very quickly promote this then, uh, considering that it is tomorrow. Uh, it's going on Spoon Radio feed. Uh, it's Cafe at the End of the World, which is a great title, by the Thank way. Thank you. Uh, Mondays at 8 p.m. Pacific. Um, you say, you, I mean, when you've been talking about it on social media so far, it's, it's something that is very much still percolating. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something that's still kind of finding its form. But you say there's going to be guests involved. Uh, I mean, yes. what 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 are you envisioning for um, the podcast? So it'll be it'll be guests. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of friends of mine. So you know, a lot of people across the entertainment industry because the that's yeah, I live in Los Angeles. That's the world that I'm in, um, but it I, was, most... I, was, I thought you would go and say, oh, and that's the world. There you go, yes, it's, it's, <laughs> it's the center of the universe, haven't you hit? Very American of me. Um, <laughs> but no, that's just where I am, so that'll be who I'm tapping into, but it'll be us discussing. Um, I'll be bringing up some of the questions that I have used on Twitter, asking the guests, they'll be sharing their stories. I'll be sharing mine, which is something that I don't do on Twitter. I don't very often answer my own questions because I don't want to pull focus um, from the people who are sharing their stories. Um, uh, and we'll also be talking about the things that are making us happy right now, the things that are helping us cope, the things that are making us laugh, um, you know, absurd stories in the news that take us out of kind of the the headspace that it's so easy to fall into right now so it's um it's a little bit of like a lesbian mom version of mr rogers who also uses a lot of curse words <laughs> there, there's your there's your tagline 
That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I'm really, uh, I'm really curious to see how uh, what you're going to do with the the, the the time with the space, and uh, I think that's going to be a really cool. Uh, uh, thing for you to do um, but it's certainly something else that you're putting on uh, your uh, schedule and on your plate uh, considering that uh, like I say you've got uh, plenty of stuff that uh, you've been doing certainly throughout the course of uh, the summer as well mm -hmm. um, uh, the one that uh, I was a particular fan of uh, this is where I bring the comics back into it is the uh, DC digital first for Wonder Woman uh, which was just uh, an amazing issue um, I'm I'm curious to see how uh, to ask how that project came about because um, uh, the digital first um, issues uh, number one have just been blowing me away with the amount of talent that they've been bringing in to take part in those particular projects. Um, but how who approached who and uh, how, what's the the kind of what was the, the the pitch and how did that whole project come together? Um, so I was I was approached uh, by DC for that and asked if I would like to do a, a Wonder Woman story for it, um, which of course I jumped at and said yes. Um, and my first, the first ever project I ever did for DC was uh, Sensation Comics featuring Wonder Woman, which was kind of the same kind of thing, standalone stories. Um, I actually did a story that went in the first issue with Gales. Um, <laughs> To continually pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this isn't a Gail Simone uh, worshiping podcast, but it can quite happily turn but, into one. But it did. But it did. Um, but so it, this was this was fun to kind of go back to that again. Um, and I submitted a couple pitches, but this one, the one that that we went with, was one that I had been wanting to do for a long time, but it wouldn't. It would never fit in an arc or in a traditional run because it's very much a, a one-off um, having to do with Amelia Earhart. And it was actually inspired by a comment that a little boy, a, a child of someone I know, made when watching the Wonder Woman movie. When Steve tried, wouldn't that be a fun story? And so this was... Um, something that I've been thinking about for several years since then and playing with, and then that's how that happened. I mean, I thought it was, it's such a really cool story because not only that, it's something that's, um, and I noticed this with most of the digital first as well, it's something that is, um, apart from the main continuity, it's something that people can kind of dive in, especially uh, younger readers as well, and just mm -hmm. uh, and drink in and uh, embrace the idea of comics and the, the whole comic art form. Um, I was actually curious about that um, whole idea of um, the Themyscirian's encounter with Amelia Earhart, but you didn't mention her by name, uh, actually, in the script. Um, I mean, what was the decision uh, behind that? Was it a case of not necessarily Amelia... Um, I mean, she's obviously incredibly important in history for her for her legacy, but it was this, the story was more about the lessons that the pair of uh, the Theramskarians can learn from Amelia and vice versa. Was it best, not necessarily the person that was important, more the, the, the joining of worlds? I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna tell oh. something that I don't know if I even should. Um, but the truth is in my script, her name was there and it was accidentally left out and I caught it. <laughs> And I mentioned it to the editor who said it was going to get fixed and it got published without getting fixed. Fair enough. <laughs> so I'm reading so much into this. I have 
no idea if I should say that or not. <laughs> oh my lord! Okay. <laughs> So, um, I, so I, I, I just, I just put, I've just put a lot of backstory into this, just into reading this. But we can go with your interpretation, which was that this was purposeful and it was to be a wink and a nudge to the readers, and everybody knew it anyway. And she's so iconic that we didn't need to say. Her name. Oh lord. Okay, fair enough. If anything, uh, a younger reader that may not, know, but mummy, who, uh, mummy, daddy, who's, who's this? Uh, oh well, that's and. That could spin off a little bit of a... Sure, yeah, so it was an educational opportunity yeah. that I provided to parents. That's what you did, <laughs> completely incidentally. <laughs> oh, my word, fantastic. Yeah. Um, the, I, I mean, along with the, uh, the another book that you came out this uh, year was uh, Flash Facts, uh, which uh -huh. was the 10 Terrific Tales. Um, not so much with the Wonder Woman story, because like you say, it is very self-contained. I, I, it's a question I've wanted to ask a number of people that have been on the podcast and I just haven't had the bottle, but I'm going to kind of put the courage up now and uh, say this. For people who are writing uh, for those characters which have such a massive iconography and uh, legacy and all this story, when you're approached to take on a character which you may be familiar with, how familiar do you feel that you have to be then with the entire lexicon? Um, is it more a case of the editor picking up on something that you may include that doesn't quite jibe, or do you feel that you have to, you really, really have to know your onions? It's it's both. Um, you know, I mean, like especially like the first time going back to the Sensation comics, the first time I ever wrote Wonder Woman, there was definitely this moment of, oh, the most iconic female superhero of all time is going to be the first thing I ever write for DC. <laughs> like, and I was like, oh, God, everyone's going to hate it and hate me. She's so beloved. I could mess it up. I don't want to, you know, there's there's the pressure of you don't want to, like, ruin something that people love. Sure. Um, and then you have to put that aside and decide the story that you want to tell and what you want to do with this character and why you love this character and, you know... Um, and I think that's the more important part. And yes, there are absolutely times, you know, I try to know as much as I can and do research. And certainly if I'm coming up with a plot line, I will check to make sure that it hasn't already happened in some obscure something that I had no idea. Um, because especially yeah. when they have such a long history, you know, it, it can happen. Um, but there's also, there have absolutely been times where I have pitched something or written something and then my editor has had to say like, oh, that won't work because currently that yeah. character is doing X, Y, Z or, you know, whatever. And especially like with DC superhero girls and uh, when I've written for like Teen Titans Go, when things um, link up with a television show, it also yeah. has to be run through their writer's room because there have been times where I've wanted to do something with a character and we can't because it'll conflict with the storyline of the show that's coming up and um, you know episodes I haven't even seen because they're not out yet so there is definitely a balance of you have to know as much as you can and also you can't know everything so you have to rely on your editors to catch you when you don't <laughs> <laughs> I mean I've just got this worst this worst nightmare of uh, it's it, it's not one of those um where it's like find yourself on a stage start naked or something kind of dreams but it's one of those where you're asked um or oh, can you write for batman and you come up with a story and someone turns around and goes yeah you clearly haven't read everything that grant morrison's ever written 
because uh, there's things here you can't do. Oh, oh right, okay, fair enough. All right, whatever. Um, I mean, it also ties in uh, with the work that you're doing then on He-Man, because um, mm -hmm. that's got its own lore, it's got mm -hmm. its own uh, mythology. Uh, I mean, how clued in were you when you uh, went into uh, writing for that project? Uh, how were you, How much of a He-Man fan were you? And how much did you have to uh, bone up on He-Man? Okay, I want to rephrase. I want to rephrase that. Um, <laughs> nope, we're sticking with it. I boned up on He-Man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, you can carry on talking now. Uh. Um, but uh, it's um, well because ours particularly is kind of a, a of a reboot. Um, there are things. Right. I mean, there's a lot that's very. I mean, obviously, you know. You can expect that the the like big tentpole characters are going to be there. There there may be differences about them, but you know, yes, you know, He Man is still He Man. Um, right. But you know, so there was. I did rewatch some of the old episodes just for like the fun and the you know to get excited about it to revisit the lore, even though some of the lore you know like obviously we're doing our own spin on things. Um. So it was less important. There, it, it was, again, it was a mix. You know, there's things you absolutely have to know about He-Man because there are things that are not going to change about He-Man. Um, and then there was a lot of new things that we're, we're doing or adding or, you know, new characters, new adventures. Um, yeah. So, again, again, it was, it was a mix. But I definitely did go back and rewatch. And something that was fun for me personally um, is that... Uh, when I was a little girl, I had a very strict religious upbringing, and I wasn't actually allowed to watch He-Man or She-Ra, um, or even the Smurfs, because they all had magic, and that was evil. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so it was something that I would sneak, you know, if I was at, like, friend's house, or, like, I would sneak and play <laughs> He-Man and She-Ra with the neighbors, so it was, like, even more tantalizing, you know, one of those things, you, it's forbidden, so you love it more. Um so it made me probably even more excited to write on the show than I would have been had I been allowed to just consume it. Fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, so I, I mean, I'm really excited for the. Uh, for, I mean, for like I say, I thought you were involved in the the, the Kevin Smith project, but um, learning which the, I'm excited about. This project. I, you know. Oh, absolutely. I, it's going to be great. Absolutely. Um, I'd like to say, said at the beginning, um, I think it's going to be interesting because of the way that um, uh, we are, um, we, the metabolism for entertainment now, it's uh, a, a lot faster. Um, people um, and even uh, kids, it's a case of you really have to hit the ground running uh, when it comes to getting their attention and getting the story uh, um kind of ingested and kind of get them invested in the story as quick as you possibly can. But the thing is, when it comes to uh, the the adult side of the business, as in the uh, the actual uh, the, the monetization of it and the way that uh, Netflix and streaming services, they are wanting a long form um, investment in the story. So there's that kind of the balance between getting their attention as quick as possible and then having to maintain that that energy. Um, how has that changed in terms of how has it affected your writing uh, for a project like this um, in terms of getting that 
energy up and running, but then also having to maintain it over a, a long form show? I mean, it's it's definitely interesting. I mean, you definitely there's definitely like a like a pace now that's yeah. that's much quicker. Um, these are probably the He-Man scripts in particular are probably the tightest scripts I've ever written. Um, it's a much lower page count. It's like um, you know, they're like 20, 21 pages for a half hour Whoa. show, which is right. I I've never written anything so tight. I mean, it is because you know, then the action sequences, of course, are you know sure. longer in person than on the page. But uh, it's it's very tight. The pacing is you know, especially for kids who have grown up with this kind of um, consuming uh, media. But yeah, the story just you know, and it's it's you know you're building off of the previous episodes, and everything's very rapid, and it's it is it is kind of different. You're not you're definitely not taking your time and meandering through, sure. you know, long pondering. Well, I mean, it was it was like with um, I mean, two of my favorite um, uh, animations that came out onto Netflix was uh, Hilda, which is mm -hmm. just oh, still it's still for me one of the finest pieces of creative work ever made. It's I just agree. stunning. And also Princess of Power. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a case that the speed um, was just uh, incredible. And I was really curious to see how they were going to maintain that kind of pace. And they, they did, certainly with uh, with Hilda, they did uh, an incredible job. So I'm really curious to see how the, the He-Man stories uh, play out. That, that's really cool. Um, uh, but then again, the other uh, thing that you've been working on this year, which uh, I saw uh, some people sharing that uh, uh, you've been involved in, uh, Chapter 5 of Flash Facts. Yes. Uh, terrific Tales of Science and Technology, which is uh, a really cool, interesting, interesting book. Um, I mean, the reason why I wanted to bring that up is back to the whole idea of lore and uh, mythology, because the mythology and the science of the Flash has changed so many times over the course of his character development, his uh, history. Um, how do you approach something like that, uh, especially if you are then trying to tie it to uh, real-world science? So this book is is really interesting because it's um, because it is more about the the actual educational aspects of things, the science, the you know, and it's the fun marriage of these comic book characters and their lore and their powers mixed with um, mixed with the real science. Um, the story, the chapter five that I did is more actually uh, Jessica Cruz Green Lantern focused. Um, right, okay. The Flash does appear in it, okay. uh, but he is uh, he is uh, more of the side character. On her adventure any, and how any, electricity. Any time, is made. The, any time the Flash, any time the Flash acts as a secondary character to uh, to a Green Lantern, I've I've no problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a fun it's a fun book because it's uh, it's really educational. I mean, it's definitely geared toward um, getting kids to learn things, kind of in a in the sneaky way of giving it to them in a fun superhero journey. Um. So I think I think it'll be fun. It's like one of those books that you could give to a child as a present and feel like you've been both responsible and <laughs> given them some more comics. You have not given them a drum kit. That's exactly. what you've done. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Uh, it's like, again, it's another a really cool and interesting book. And like I say, um, any project which has this kind of uh, 
ability to kind of not only entertain but also uh, provide some educational um, uh, backbone. I think that's really, 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 really cool. Um, and I think uh, what I just to we'll we'll start wrapping things up because we want to let you get off and enjoy the rest of your uh, your Sunday. But um, certainly talking about um, what you feel you can see yourself doing more of when it comes to your writing post-pandemic in 2021, considering that this isn't going to be going in a way, any way, away any time soon. It is down to a case of vaccine. We are still very much um, in the middle of a global pandemic. It wasn't the summertime. We're still in it now. In terms of... Uh, the things that are being produced, um, the general consensus of opinion is there's, we're going to be seeing a lot more animation uh, because it's a way for people to produce at home mm -hmm. and produce remotely. Is that something that you feel that you are going to find yourself or the necessity is going to be there for you to do more of? What, what do you see for your writing in this current landscape? I mean, I hope so. He-Man is the first uh, animated project I've ever written on, and I loved it so much. It reminds me a lot of the things that I love about uh, comic book writing, which is just where you get to write the story and then amazing artists make it even more beautiful and fun. Um, and, uh, you know, it's there are things that you can do that you can't necessarily do as easily in live action with animation and with comic books. Um, so... I've loved it. It's also really fun to sit in on the, the voice recording sessions. Uh, you know, pre-pandemic, I got to actually go in and sit and watch them in a booth. Now I get to watch them on Zoom. Um, but it's, it's, still really, it's still really fun. So I would, I would love to do more animation. Um, I hope that I'm doing a lot more comic books. I've got two graphic novels coming out next year that I can't talk about yet. Okay. Um, but I is that, I, they, is that are they creator owned or are they IP? No, one's an adaptation of a novel that's more like for adults, and one is another um, for a, a big comic company, another IP that you're very familiar with. Um, so, so yeah, fun, fun stuff, and you know, I think I feel fortunate that I that I have those skills. I hope that I get to use them in the next year because obviously it's a lot more difficult to do some of the other things that I do right now. Um, you know, I did, I did work a bit on set this summer in a very, um, you know, in a, on a very conscious production that did lots of like testing and safety protocols and whatever, but it was, it was challenging and stressful. And, um, and obviously there's just less of them because it is more expensive to, to add all those extra precautions and to, to create content. So there's, you know, less opportunities, less things getting made, less jobs, all of that. Sure. So. Uh, I mean, you've got, um, Shelly Bond who's joining us. Hello there, Shelly. Uh, drum kits are great gifts for kids, said a mom who has a drum kit in the living room. Um, <laughs> but listen, I can imagine your house is a pretty loud house as it is already, Shelly. And, uh, yeah, comics rule. But we knew this. We knew this. Um, uh, uh, I, I mean, I'm really curious as well to see if we'd ever see uh, an, uh, a Stag's Divert uh, book uh, down the line. We are definitely hoping to. We'd like to. We'd like to do some creator-owned stuff together, and I'm hoping that that is something very soon on the horizon. 
Because I keep, I was, I was actually expecting you to turn around and say, "Oh no, if we work together, oh God, no, no, let's let's just let's just keep ourselves separate. Otherwise, we'll just drive ourselves insane." We love working together. We we did Sensation Comics together. We do John Carpenter's Tales for Halloween Night every year together, um, and it's actually great. We have such a shorthand um, that it's lovely. It's also really great as a writer to be able to walk into your artist studio and see what they're doing. Thing. And it's great for her because she can literally, is this what you, what were you meaning here? You know, it's, it's actually, um, it's really convenient when both creators are uh, living in the same house 24-7 together. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent stuff. Um, well, I mean, thank you so much indeed for coming on um, and uh, talking to us. Uh, it's been interesting to hear about the, the kind of the process, especially nowadays. Uh, in the current landscape and uh, kind of spinning so many plates and what you've got uh, in mind. And it sounds that you're really, as well, keeping incredibly positive uh, about uh, the projects uh, that are coming out, uh, considering, like I say, everything's a little bit on fire at the moment. But uh, it's great that you've been uh, uh, talking to us about um, the, the positivity of, uh, of the whole thing. And like I say, looking forward to uh, listening to the podcast tomorrow. Let's bring that up one more time. Spoon, oh, it's on Spoon uh, Spoon Radio feed. Uh, how can people find this? So Spoon Radio is an app um, that you can download that's free on your phone. You can also just go to Spoon Radio um, online and it'll just, the live stream will be right there. You don't have to join or sign up in order to listen. But if you do, then you can log in and be part of the feed and, you know, interact live while people talk. Excellent stuff. And last but not least, is there anything else that you want to promote? Anything else that you want to tell everyone about and uh, point in uh, the direction of? Um, let's think. Uh, we have a book coming out in 2021, Wonder Women of History, uh, where Kat and I worked together and did the story of Edie Windsor, who helped, uh, had a landmark case in the Supreme Court that helped LGBTQ rights. Um, and yeah, otherwise, I think we've talked about everything. Thank you so much. This was so fun. It's <laughs> cool. Um, and I, I suppose I could uh, just to kind of dovetail into the next section. How big a Godfather fan are you? I know that that might have come a little bit out of left field, but trust me, there's a reason. Is this where I shamefully admit that I haven't ever seen? <laughs> oh dear me, uh, Mark. Any any response to that, sir? Uh, cut that video feed right now. I mean, I was really, I was really enjoying Amanda's chat, especially about the He-Man stuff, because I'm a huge He-Man fan. No longer I will I be buying any of Amanda's stuff, having never seen the greatest film ever made. I'll have to go. I'll have to. I'll have to rectify that this week. It's too late now, Amanda. Sorry. It's too late. You've already. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm, I'm also just to kind of uh, get your thoughts on uh, kind of director's cuts and uh, uh, kind of editing of stuff further down the line, because uh, we've got this, the the, the new uh, cut of Godfather, got um, Snyder cut next year. I mean, is it something that um, you're in, interested in, the evolution of something once it's released, or is it a case of it's done, let's move on? Oh, absolutely. I love it. I love a director's cut. I love to see uh, what people will do when unfettered, you know, if it's if, if it's just left up to them. And I think it's I think it's fun, especially when it's something you love, then you get to enjoy it in a new way with some new things. I mean, I think why not more of everything? <laughs> uh, listen, I'm OK with uh, 
indulgement, indulging of uh, uh, more of everything. I'm okay with that. Listen, thank you so much indeed for coming on. It's been thank an absolute you. blast. And uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. And the best of luck with Cafe at the End of the World tomorrow. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so it's going to go incredibly well. Amanda, thank you so much indeed for coming on. Thank you. And sorry to disappoint you, Mark. <laughs> oh, listen, we like disappointing Mark. Ah, oh, ah. my word. Um, listen, uh, did you notice though? she said that and then just left instantly? There you sure. go. She just she didn't want any more of the argument. Yeah. Um, so there we go. Um, uh, yeah, that was rough, Mark. That, there you go. That's Brandon Troy with his. Uh, uh, Brand, yeah, Brandon's right. Yeah. Yeah, but there yeah. we go. Um, but um, listen, thank you so much, you for coming on because uh, I know that you wanted to talk about um, this new release that came out this week. I think it was Thursday, Friday when it was. Um, I think Friday, certainly for a cinema release, uh, which it's incredibly uh, rare in twenty twenty uh, to have something actually hit the screens. And you did put out a tweet uh, last week uh, outside of an Odeon. Uh, looking very cold and uh, and uh, uh, yeah it was uh, a bit of a uh, cold and shivery one um but um i then asked if you had uh, had seen the the new cut of uh, godfather and um you said that you would like to come on to talk about that and also about all sorts of bits and pieces i suppose um number let's have a, a bit of a, a spoiler free uh, thought then on godfather part 3 the Saga of Michael Corleone. No, nothing right. like no, uh, nowhere near like it. No, nowhere near. Go it's, on, man. Go on, go on. It's the Godfather coda, the death of Michael Corleone, which was a, meant to be the original title of the film. That's what uh, Coppola wanted. It's what Puzo wanted. However, obviously Paramount Pictures really pushed uh, uh, pushed Coppola into making part three because it, you know it's a nice tie-in. It's a it's a trilogy. Great, but obviously. Coppola didn't want that, and he's forever said, "Look, part three is not part three; it's an epilogue. You shouldn't see it as a as a kind of a part three. So he's gone back thirty years, exactly thirty years, actually, this month since it opened, and um, he's re-edited it, much like with what was it, Apocalypse Now, Redux, and then the final cut as well. Right. Um, he also did it with the Cotton Club as well, which um, that edit was slightly more bizarre uh, this time. Did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only in the US, though, not in the UK. Um, That's why. Okay, I didn't know there would have been a, a been a re-edit of that film. Okay. Yeah. Um, this time he has reduced the runtime. He has changed the beginning. Uh, he's changed it. He, he's slightly tweaked the end, and some scenes in the middle are in slightly different order. There's a different musical score for certain bits as well. Um, so it's not. A hugely different film you know we're not talking of kingdom of heaven director's cut here which is infinitely better <laughs> than the normal version um what we're talking here now is a film that's zippier um it plays quicker it gets to the point quicker so i think for anybody who you know is of that mindset of oh the godfather part three is absolutely a terrible film uh this will play better for them certainly because it it's a much quicker film it really is um you know, it's it's two hours, two thirty something or other. Um, so, if do you know, it's weird. I was watching it last night, and I was thinking, if this was the version that had come out in nineteen ninety, people would have said, "Ah, oh, there's a there's a great ending." Yes, it can't live up to one and two and whatever else, but it's a great ending, and all of the people in it are fantastic, and everybody else and everything else like that. And then if they'd have released the one that came out in ninety now, people would have gone, "Oh, it's nice to see." extended scenes 
So <laughs> it's an interesting reversal, which we don't see that often. Um, well, that, that, I mean, that was going to be the, the, the question. Um, uh, is this something that has improved it? Because, uh, I mean, we, we, we've got, like I mentioned in the segue, the, the, the Snyder Cut on the way. Um, we've had um, multiple iterations of, uh, of Star Wars uh, and what George Lucas has been doing. Uh, or did do with the uh, the trilogy moving uh, forward, and it is it's a question that I've asked um, on a couple of panels and I've asked a couple of creators as well. That whole sense of um, is it a case of art being abandoned, um, or is there a case of that sense of just it? I've done the, what I can with it. I've created this piece, let it fly, let it go, and. If it if it flies, it flies. If it and it it lives and dies on its own merits. Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. It gets because there's, there's got to be a point where creators turn around and say we've got to release it. Otherwise, you'll never release it. It will never be released because you'll always be tweaking it. You'll always be changing it. There's always something in there where you're like, oh, maybe I should change that. So at some point, it's got to be released, and that's why ultimately, as much as people bitch and moan about studios and whatever else they put a time frame on something they say right look you've got to give it to us by this point so we can put it out so this gives a bit of pressure now granted you know coppola having 12 months back in 1988 to write it film it edit it and give it to the studio is an insane amount of time a, a 12 months to make godfather part three is ridiculous but to have somebody turn around and say right you've got to put it out puts a time limit on it. And I think that's what creators need. Otherwise, as I said, you'd just be constantly tweaking it. I mean, the good thing sure. is, you know, you're talking about Star Wars. We're obviously talking about Coppola doing Apocalypse Now and Zack Snyder going back and doing Justice League. These films have made their money back. They've made them back sevenfold. And ultimately, they're now sat in a maybe not so much Justice League, I guess. But certainly a lot of these are just sat in a, a dusty warehouse of a studio and the director comes and says listen i'd like to go back and do it it's going to cost you i don't know 10 million pounds they're going to say well we made 10 million this year on sales and streaming so it's nothing to them that's the thing it's just time um i like the idea of going back to it decades later after time has moved on sure. you know um Obviously, with The Godfather Part 3, everybody hates it because of Sofia Coppola. Um, I think she's perfectly fine in in the Part 3. Um, I mean, we've got we've got uh, Michael Pease joining us. Uh, Godfather Part 3 was dreadful. Um, French I, think that, I think that's a difficult thing to say, purely because Parts 1 and Part 2 are such epic uh, and monumental pieces of filmmaking. It's a little, a little bit like... Um, uh, people slagging off the Phantom Menace. At the end of the day, you are comparing it against Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, and The Return of the Jedi. Uh, three historic pieces of uh, film. I tried my best, and I have gone back and I've watched The Phantom Menace purely as a film, someone coming in and watching it with no expectations whatsoever, um, and trying to separate from the rest of the, the, uh, the saga. And the Phantom Menace holds up. I think The Godfather Part Three holds up. Um, there are so. I mean, if anything, because it, if, for myself, it actually asks the bigger questions of redemption, of um, 
of Michael. Where we were with Michael when we first started at the very beginning of The Godfather as uh, someone coming out of the military who had a very strong moral code trying to reclaim that person that he was in the first 20 minutes of Godfather Part 1. So I think there's so much that, that, uh, that it's trying to do and somehow it, it kind of works. But the, the thing that I want to move into in the conversation is with Godfather Part 3 of the uh, the coda of uh, Michael Culleon. Um, that is a, a project that um, Coppola came to on his own accord. Um, I, I, I don't think any of us saw it coming. No. Um, and, and yeah, it, it just came out of pretty much nowhere. Um, so then there's the director who has a feel to create and to complete the project. And then there's fan pressure. Then there's the other side of the coin, the entitlement of an audience to have the film that they want. And we're getting that with um, Zack Snyder, which that film or that six-part uh, HBO series will not be coming out if it wasn't for this massive groundswell um, online. Which, what do you see in terms of benefits? What do you see is necessary? What do you, what's your, your thoughts on it? Um yeah that's a that's a whole other ball game let's face it because you're not taking an original film and tweaking it slightly by adding adding slight scenes or removing scenes or putting a new score in there only and putting an extra 20 minutes or reducing it by 20 minutes you're talking about another what 4 hours of a film so ultimately this is a brand new film that's how it should be treated certainly it will be by me because this is you know he's gone and spent and an inordinate amount of money to to get all of those people back and to make it how it wants to be or his vision let's face it it's his vision um and yes it's unfortunate he had to drop out and i completely understand that however at the time they brought somebody in who knows the universe knows the nerd universe characters knows, knows yeah. the landscape yeah, and you know when it was announced, I think everybody went, "Yeah, good choice." Yeah, yeah, no, it, fine. Well, it, it, it's it wasn't his first rodeo. Let's put it that way. Exactly, yeah. that's the thing. Yes, um, so I think Zack Snyder going back on the basis of fan pressure is, I, I guess, on one hand, it's it's good that he gets to put out his own vision. That's the thing. That's his own vision. Great, fantastic. But on the other side, it's problematic because then where does this stop? Where does it where is the line drawn in the sand? When are you going to turn around and say, you know what we need? We need the Martin Breast cut of Gili. That's what we need. The two and a half hour cut of Gili where Gili dies at the end. I mean, you know, it's it's getting to, to that level. Um, and I think that's the worry is that there are so many stories out there about studio interference um, that have meddled with films, taken it off directors as well, recut it. Uh, hello, Miramax. Um, and it gets to a point where you're like, does anybody need this? You know, it's like, um, uh, who was it? Um, director of Suicide Squad. I saw in the summer, oh, yes. somebody had said to him about uh, another version. He said, yeah, yeah, well, you know, I, I put together my cut. It's it's very different. And then all of a sudden there was this thing of, yeah, yeah, no, we should see this. Um, we, we need to see it. And he's turned around and said, why would you see it? It's too late. It's gone. You know, and this goes back to what you were saying, actually, Leonard, is 
at some point creators have got to let it go you've got to let it go that's it it's out in the world it's done and the thing is people turn around and they go well you know there was a three-hour cut of suicide squad it's like yeah there will be because those are the rough assembled cuts that's how it works you get it three hours, then you trim it down. You keep trimming, you keep trimming. And then you've got a finished version. Eventually, you can go back and put bits. But, you know, having fan edits, I guess that's what you call it. I wouldn't know what you else you would call it. Director, yeah. it's difficult to know. Is As I said, it's, it's bordering on problematic because where does the line draw in the sand? Because, listen, you hate a film, but there might be loads and loads of other people out there who love the film sure so, i mean for, my, for, for myself it's for myself it's a, a case of um and i i think i put this uh there was a, an interview with somebody um and they were asked about uh, uh, uh the uh, in and the uh, where the influence of a fan groundswell uh, goes into creative endeavors and uh, for myself it really is a case of the moment that an audience starts dictating to a filmmaker or to a studio um, what uh, a film needs to be, that's when art effectively dies because it's then art by committee. I think it's because I'm a uh, I'm a big um, uh, the, oh, what's the uh, the name of the film uh, about uh, uh, um, uh, Da Vinci uh, doing the uh, the Sistine Chapel. Uh, and he's uh, is it the, pa the, the power and the glory? I think I'm talking about yeah. Hudson Hawk then. No, no, well, yes, uh, okay, that's a whole other story <laughs> of another cracking piece of uh, art. Um, but uh, that the whole idea of commerce driving creative endeavors, um, when you are effectively then just a journeyman for the audience. Well, um, so, you know, that's a that's a good point, actually. And that leads me back to something, actually. And we know now for a fact that Joss Whedon was heavily pushed by Marvel when he was making Avengers Age of Ultron. Like they, they, that was what you were saying, which was directed by committee that you can see in some of the, the interviews that he gave at the time and the since where he's turned around and said, you know, I had real trouble trying to do this or trying to do that. And I think that was probably the first time where we really saw the creative hands from the boardroom in terms of Marvel movies. Um, now, obviously, you know, Marvel movies are, yeah, great. They're directed by people, but it still feels like it's sort of directed from the boardroom. They've all got the same color palette. We can't change that. Absolutely not. Um, and I think Age of Ultron was the first film where it sort of came out that you were like, okay, yeah, I'm digging this. It, this is a big... It was, it was serving so many masters. It was, absolutely. I like it. I think it's a very good film. But when Whedon comes out and talks about it, and listen, I know it's problematic to talk about Joss Whedon at the moment, but it's an example that he was being pushed into certain things. He had creative freedom on the first one, basically. And now they make it massive um and they go can you do another one yeah no problem but we need you to do this we need to do that we need you to put these people in as well and then all of a sudden he's having all of these exterior influences come into him for a script that him and a couple of his you know colleagues have written um yeah it's yeah it's tough it's tough yeah. um i mean granted you are working for marvel so you know they, <laughs> they do expect a certain amount of money back but um yeah creative freedom at the big studios certainly seems to have disappeared yeah uh, we've got a couple of comments brandon troy's watching daredevil 
director's cut is better. Valid point. Um, it is a uh, very much a valid point. I mean, like yeah. I say, when it when it's the person themselves that's made something that feels that they can improve on it. Um, Ed, uh, Alien, the director's cut of Alien. Um, admittedly, the, that works for people who have actually already seen the film. It's just tighter. It's sharper. It's, mm. It moves faster. It's just yeah. It's just the way it works. Mm. Um, he also mentions that we might be getting another cut of Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, per the editor John Ottman, in lieu of the troubled uh, initial troubled theatrical cut. As long as there's a professional in the editing booth, um, because how that got nominated for best editing is beyond me. There was that I don't know if anyone saw when it got nominated for best edit uh, best editing. Someone actually then just posted the scene of the uh, record executive meeting the band and uh, uh, the, uh, you, you know what I'm on about. No, you know exactly, exactly what I'm about. It. I yeah. bring it up all the time. I bring it up oh. all the time. It's the worst you, piece of editing it's ever. It's awful. Truly, truly awful. Uh, yeah. Marcy Betts, uh, it's incredible, uh, Brett, sorry. It's incredibly hard to go back and re-edit something. What we're seeing now represents his mindset now as much as more than his mindset years ago. You can't ignore what's happened to your viewpoint or your career in the years since. Uh, correct. Uh, but I, it also uh, gets, I get a sense of um, he's very emboldened. Um, he knows he's got uh, the internet behind him. He knows he's got an entire movement uh, which are um, which created a hashtag uh, that got everyone talking. He that's a lot of influence he can then impose on Warner Brothers on HBO to then give him six films or a, a six-part new director's cut um it's and you you see in interviews um that uh, there's a, a a definite change in the tone uh from years before to where we are in 2020 interviews with Zack Snyder he just he's got some juice um there from this groundswell of support from the fans it's a it's a real different um approach and this is why i think this particular film has stirred up so much conversation uh, because in the past it's a case of the fans exerting influence on a director in a studio and whatever here it's the director joining in as well and throwing the eggs and the rotten fruit at the studio walls and they've it's worked that's the thing it's the thing that it's the fact that it's worked the thing is, as well, talking about this, obviously we'll talk about it next year when it comes out a bit more, but let's face it, this film was going to be the big seller for HBO Max. You know, hey, if you're in the US, <laughs> subscribe to HBO Max. You can get it on there. That's where you'll get it. And everybody went, yeah, great, fantastic. And then this week, Warner's just went, yeah, you know that film? Uh, you're going to get all the films Ever. You see, you beat you beat me to my own segue. Thank you so much indeed for that, uh, Mark. But no, uh, there, there was that announcement this week. Yeah. Uh, one or two sites getting it slightly wrong uh, or misreading the uh, announcement that they seem to feel that um, every single film for 2021 is going to be released on the same day. <laughs> okay, you, you may have just slightly misread that. Um, but um, no, it's uh, same day the uh, theatrical and uh, streaming um uh, is how HBO Max are going to be doing this. Um, it's also interesting that they're not going to be charging 
uh, anything extra. Unlike Disney Plus, who put on a premium for Mulan, um, it is going to be part of the subscription package. Uh, what's your thoughts on that in particular? Um, it's difficult to know. Is this, at the is, 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 this, is this a way for them to possibly recoup any kind of loss? Because for me, I don't think it's enough. Uh, the thing is, and I was reading this today, they were talking about Wonder Woman 1984, comparing it to the Tenet release and how Wonder Woman 1984 is going to go on to HBO Max and in cinemas. So basically the cost is split. So some of that production cost is going to go toward uh, HBO Max will have to pay for it. Um, now, in order to break even for that film, it's going to need to do an extra 40 percent of what Tenet did um globally that's just in the u.s so that's you're talking about 500 million in the u.s it needs to do um i don't know what the split would be behind the scenes with hbo max and how they return that revenue to warner brothers um, that would be interesting it's it's going to be interesting to see how it works i mean great for anybody who's got hbo max great fantastic you know you're probably like oh, i'm not going to go to the cinema ever again you'll miss that cinema experience, especially seeing, I mean, who doesn't want to see Dune on the big screen? Holy shit. I mean, man, God, it's, it's there. It's IMAX. Fuck. I've got to see it. Um, but other films and the, you know, I talked about this previously and I've talked about it a lot. Other films, which would have gone to theaters um, and probably made 30 million, something like that, because they're on streaming, they will probably make 70 or 80 million. So you're instantly making a good deal of money. And this is all this all comes down to Trolls World Tour. These are the trolls are the ones to blame because that film was going to go in cinemas. And then obviously the world went caught on fire um, and Universal turned around and said, right, we're going to put this on streaming. You've got to pay for it, whatever it was, $15, $20, whatever. And it made like one hundred and fifty million dollars globally. And suddenly everybody went, hang on a second. We're cutting out the middleman here, which is the cinemas. We can do all of this and we get all of the money. So it's changed the industry a lot all of a sudden. And Warners have always changed the industry, actually. They, they were very big in pushing VHS, for those of us who are old enough to remember it. Um, they were big um, people to promote DVD as well. Um, they were the main company to promote DVD outside it as well. So them doing something like this is not huge from them. You know, they're, they're used to shaking the apple cart a little bit. Um, I'm just curious to see how it plays out in terms of films on the big screen and who's going to go when you can subscribe at home for whatever the money is. I don't know what you pay to subscribe to HBO Max, um, but it's certainly going to be an eye opener for a lot of I mean, people. I brought, I brought it up in conversation with my brother that uh, also likes to kind of uh, stir the pot a little bit with me. He likes to uh, kind of uh, get my hackles up. Thank you very much, you do too. <laughs> my brother Paul, but he, he then brought up a good point as the, the films that are coming out, which ones would have been making any kind of money online anyway? Uh, sorry, um, in cinemas anyway. And I think the best way to actually approach it is then actually have a look at the films that um, HBO, are, uh, HBO Max are going to be showing um, from Warner Brothers over the course of uh, 2021. So let's uh, go quickly through the list. Uh, we've got The Little Things, uh, which is January 29th. Tom and Jerry. I mean, that's Yay. possibly... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I quite like the trailer, actually. Yeah, me, me too. Mm. Many Saints of New York. Um, 
okay. Um, yeah. This is a kind of a, a prequel that I think possibly could have gone straight to streaming anyway. Uh, Remnants, uh, sorry, Remnants, Remnants, <laughs> I get it right, uh, which is Hugh Jackman's uh, new uh, project with Rebecca Ferguson. There's a tentpole movie. There you go. Godzilla versus Kong, which if anyone was going to be going to uh, cinemas um, to see something on a big screen, that would have been the film uh, or one of the films to see. Um, I'm trying to do the balance. I'm trying to work out which what films offset the loss of cinema, mm. if if that makes sense. Um, the Conjuring, that's maybe more cinema thing as well. But people quite like the idea of being at home in the dark watching a, a horror movie. Uh, in the Heights, which is the uh, uh, adaptation of Lin Manuel Miranda's uh, sensation. Space Jam, A New Legacy in the summer. Uh, yes, The Suicide Squad uh, is uh, one of the big, uh, was going to be one of the big cinema releases. And by the, then again, we are talking Ju um, July and August at this point. Um, and you can kind of hope that some kind of cinema normality will be back. But they have committed to all of the films in 2021 coming out simultaneous on HBO Max, including Dune, uh, King Richard, uh, which is uh, Will Smith's film, The Matrix 4, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, and yay, Mortal Kombat, there it is. Um, those who wish me dead, and then we're getting into something like the real back end of the year. So the question then is, that balance uh, between those films which would not have made as much money on the cinema screen and HBO Max, that subscription model can kind of cover some of that. Then you're talking those big tempo movies which will have taken a hit from people not going into the cinemas. Is this enough to recover that kind of investment? Um, it depends on their subscription numbers, doesn't it? I think that's the thing. Um you know, Disney Plus. If you were, were talking for each film, yes, but they, I think for the majority, it's people who are going to sign up for Wonder Woman, and that's your twelve months. Yeah, probably. Well, it's the Disney Plus syndrome, isn't it? You can have a deal for twelve months um, initially, but then how do you keep people beyond that? That's the problem. Um, especially if they turn around and say, right, in twenty twenty two, we're going back to the old schedule for the big tentpole blockbusters. We'll get into that in a second, um, the, the future of this whole model. Uh, you've got uh, Aaron Abus, Godzilla for the win. There you go. I, I, I put some money on Kong. Never never, never knock the big Abe out. <laughs> it's, just, it's all about, listen, I can tell you right now, it's some of that weight, it helps with momentum. <laughs> um, and Dan Berry, $15 a month or so for HBO Max. So Fair price, fair price. Tenner? Just over a tenner? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark C. Brett's with the conglomerates now controlling both the studios and distribution through streaming. We're back to monopolies of movie production as well as TV. That's a whole other conversation, and you're absolutely right. It is uh, something else. Yeah. Um, 2021, simultaneous release, streaming and in cinemas for the film slate. Is this the new model moving forward? Mm. It's difficult to know, isn't it? Nobody's really going to know until the end of next Your year. Forks, Mark. 
um I, I i genuinely don't know because it really depends on numbers this is the thing you can't turn around and go yeah this is going to be the future um you can see it being the future for a lot of mid to lower level films and that's happened a lot here in the uk actually this year where a lot of films where i've been like oh great yeah fantastic um you can get it on demand but also you can go to the cinema to see it um i mean a lot of british films have had that this year actually it's been a great year for british films because we've been able to see them rather than pulling them back they've they've embraced right let's put it on streaming and people have gone what that's on streaming we thought it was going to be in the cinema like no no we want people to see it here pay 10 pound so it's worked really well here in the uk i think for british films um for your big tentpole films that's a whole other conversation and it really comes down to a bottom end um how that money is going to be filtered back um it's a bold move from warners my i always mentioned this to the to a friend the other day is that it's bold move from warners i like the fact that they've done it this is great um here in the uk we don't get any of that at all it's only in cinemas still um and actually that will be the same around the world apart from the us i believe um but is it the future it's a good question i'm gonna wait and see what disney does because they're the ones who are very mm, reactive to stuff but almost too slow for stuff you know this move the mulan thing was a they are very much the app they are very much the apple of this whole scenario, yeah yeah the mulan thing was badly fudged let's face it i mean you know it's a great film why would you put it on as premium put it up there you know they, they've done it with soul i mean soul is going to disney plus on christmas day indeed um, they, i mean they, they proved that it worked with hamilton uh yeah. hamilton got announced the subscriptions went up um yeah. people wanted to see mulan they will have subscribed exactly um, it's, there you go um the, and I the think problem that's is where, um, that's what well, hbo are gambling on yeah absolutely the problem is they're only gambling in the us whereas these films are international um so them looking at just being us centric is is not good for their for their bottom end that's the thing you know yeah. tenet may uh, granted okay it's a slightly different situation because you know tenet didn't really open in the us but even if it had have done nolan's films make more money internationally than in the us they always have done even the dark knight and everything else like that um but some of those films that are on that list that you just had there, Leonard, they're they're US centric films. Um, yeah. So what are they going to do internationally to bunk up that money, basically? Because I want to see the the Many Saints of New York. I'm a huge Sopranos fan. I, I adore that show. Um, but as you said, that's sort of a streaming film. So going to HBO Max works perfectly. Not a problem. So that might bunk up the numbers a bit more. Great. But what happens after that? Where does yeah. it go? Well, uh, we've got um, Andrew English who's saying, fingers crossed for a similar release of Godzilla. That's a film you want to see on a big screen. And I get it. I absolutely get it. Uh, Brandon Troy is saying, I would argue uh, that these films might make money. Uh, Mortal Kombat has made a resurgence in popularity, like, thanks to the last few games. Uh, and just say, Mark, Disney doesn't have to rush because they're in a different position than other streamers. Unlike other streamers, they own all of their library instead of paying a licensing fee. It's a great point. Yep. Uh, great point. So there we go. Um, I, I know it's difficult to kind of cast a, a, um, uh, some kind of um, 
crystal ball on all, all of this. Um, and we're only going to kind of, we, in fact, we're going to find out how this is going to play out literally in the first couple of uh, months of uh, 2021, because we have films coming out which are going to show how well this model is going to work on the set on the December 25th. Uh, we'll find out exactly how many people will sign up for HBO Max for Wonder Woman 1984. Yeah, um, we're going to find out in a couple weeks' time when how this model is going to play out. Mm. Um, but I think uh, for myself, and it was a question I've been asking people over the course of the summer, um, when the numbers and the money is not coming in in the quantity that it has in the last four, five, six, seven, eight, whatever years, does that mean that we are going to, we have seen the end of the $200 million, million film? <laughs> um, are we going to be seeing smaller films? Are we going to be seeing more independent? Is cinema become going to become more of a boutique market? That's a, do you I'm know curious. what? That's a really good question, actually. And it's something that I thought about the other day. I think your $200 million, well, top end, let's say that. I think you're still going to see them. I think they're still going to finance them. But I think films like Shazam um, that are sort of, I would call, second tier movies are just not going to be financed at all. I think Shall I tell you what I think we're going to see? We are going to see these films. But I think the way they're going to be made is going to be different. Uh, when The Mandalorian is coming out each week, or the, the, the production value of The Mandalorian, when you can stick people inside of a big cube and film in any location anywhere uh, just by projecting it up onto a screen, um, I think the um, production value is still going to be there. I think the, the budget's going to drop. I think we're going to see a change in the way these films are made. Yeah. Um, I, I certainly don't think we're going to have um, the same. I don't know. It's just it's such a strange setup. Uh, I, I think, and, you know, you mentioned it. I think it's going to be probably good news for lower budget films, I have to say. You know, I think about films uh, like Good Times, you know, the Robert Patterson film, which is a great film. Nobody saw it. Um you know, stuff like that, which is out there, it's low budget, it's it's grounded, it's gritty, stuff like that. I think we're going to see a lot more of that because they're cheap to make and throw them out and they can probably get a talent like a Robert Patterson or like a Chris Evans or whoever it is to want to go and make some of these smaller stuff away from the bigger films, which some of them have done, some haven't. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that, which is great because... That's when you get, and this goes back to what we were talking about actually about directors. This is when you get directors being given the freedom because the studio go, yeah, it's only cost us 50 million. So we didn't really care. We didn't, you know, we, we looked at it and yeah, fantastic. That's it. Great. Here's the film. And you go, actually, do you know what? That's a really good film. Um, it shows some really good talent. So I think we'll probably see a lot more of that, which is good because we have, let's face it, we have been inundated with the big blockbusters for the past, what, decade now. Um, and a lot of other films have gone by the wayside, which have eventually found an audience on Netflix and people have gone, ah, oh, I wish I'd have seen this on the big screen. It would have been great. You know, Snowpiercer, Snowpiercer is a prime example, sure. something like that. Um, the Raid, another prime example, you know. Um, so hopefully that's the outcome, which means we, we still get a good amount of films. We just get um, films that 
maybe you know with the big blockbusters in the 70s you know you think about films like coppola made or or lucas made or scorsese was making maybe we get back to that stage real directors yeah yeah um Andrew English, the rest of the world, straight to DVD. I don't know what the arrangement is with these films, the the Warner Brothers, HBO Max films. Uh, I don't know what. I mean, I know the the, the idea is that we're going to be, we're still going to get them in cinemas. Um, aren't we in the same boat as the Americans are? Um, there's a case of people still uh, not entirely confident, convinced about going to the cinema until we have the vaccine or something that's going to uh, convince uh, people to well, leave the houses. I can say that here in the UK, the deal that Warners have with Sky lasts for another four years. So I, it's highly doubtful we're going to get HBO Max at any point here in the UK, but I know they're trying to roll it out across other territories. But here, we're not going to get it, so it will probably continue <sighs> to be cinemas. And then maybe on sky cinema for a premium two months later or something that's maybe maybe yeah. um marcy brett's so much of the movie budgets uh are marketing yeah. and overtime because of rush post-production yeah. without that sucking up the budget perhaps high quality production can still be done uh under english if everything went the way of mandalorian cities around the world would feel it uh, Montreal certainly would. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, Brandon Troy will be interesting, Mark, to see what happens with smaller films because they don't have the resources to ensure that they are adhering to COVID protocols. That's coming from it from a whole other uh, angle. That's uh, an interesting one. Excellent stuff. Listen, everyone, thank you very much indeed for your comments on this. Uh, I mean, I know we had a, a light and fluffy interview with uh, Amanda earlier. This was a little bit heavier, but um, it's asking some big questions of something that we're going to be finding out the solutions uh, or certainly the outcomes of uh, in a couple of weeks' time with the release mm -hmm. of Wonder Woman 1984. Mark, thank you so much, Judy, for coming on. It's been a pleasure, as always, to see you, sir. Uh, even if Amanda did upset you straight out the gate. Uh, it's fine. You, can, you, you, can, you could feel that energy, that kind of... It's that, fine. I'll the, send her a tweet in a bit. It's fine. Yeah, the, 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 the edging of the shoulder forward. <laughs> you're, you're gearing for a fight. I get it. Um, but it's been a pleasure seeing you. Thank you so much, Judy, for coming on. Can you tell people where people can find you online? Uh, I'm on Twitter, Mark underscore Searby. Uh, you can find my website, MarkSearby.com. You can find my couple of books, uh, one about Al Pacino and one about the British comedian Rick Mail. They're available on Amazon and all other places where you can get good books. And then uh, radio film reviews Friday on Phoenix FM here in the UK. You can listen to these online as well. And Saturday here in the UK on BBC Radio Suffolk. Excellent stuff indeed. Uh, and for myself, of course, you can follow me on Englishman SDCC. Uh, you can keep a track on what I'm doing with the podcast uh, by following me on Twitter mostly. Uh, and I will be giving you more updates on the guests that we've got coming up, which I can say are, I'm particularly happy about. Um, we have ourselves um, some cool ones coming up in the next couple of weeks. Admittedly, we are going to be taking a bit of a break over the course of the Christmas week. More of that to come, uh, so uh, do keep your eyes on my social media. I'll be announcing and rolling out all the details later on this week. So, from Amanda Dybert, from uh, my very good guest, uh, Mark Serby, and from myself, Lena Sultana, thank you so much indeed for watching. Uh, hopefully you can join us on Saturday for a, an incidental episode, which uh, I'm really very much looking forward to. Same time, 10 p.m. Uh, 10 p.m. Uh, 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. GMT. 
I'm very tired. I'm going to go to bed. I will see you next week for another Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego. From me, Mark, to you, take care. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Talking Con, a cup of tea with an Englishman in San Diego, is hosted by Leonard Sultana, who can be found at Englishman SDCC. Talking Con is a production of the Convention Collective. Support the podcast at patreon.com slash Englishman SDCC.